Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Good morning, Covenant. Greetings from Vietnam. It is Monday morning, July 11th, quite early, and we are getting ready to get started with our very first education conference here. Over 300 students and teachers from around this region have traveled to join us for two days of intensive training to learn new strategies for working with their students. This is a region that we have been working with since 2016, I believe. So relationships have been built over that time period. And this is also the province where we will be engaging in October um, with the schools in Bunfoon. So I'm very excited to have the opportunity to be here to spend time with these people again. We had an opportunity last night to be hosted for dinner by the Ministry of Education. Think of that as kind of the West Virginia Board of Education. These officials um, were very kind and hosted us to a lovely dinner and shared stories with us about the impact that the work that we have been doing since 2016 has had on this region. I look forward to sharing some of those stories with you when I return. Um, So I've got some work to do. We've got a room filling up rather quickly, so I've got to go. But I wanted to touch base and just say thank you. Thank you for the way that you have invested in this region, into these people. Thank you for loving Vietnam, even if you've never been here. Thank you for being willing to be a part of the transformation of people half a world away. You are as much a part of this as we are here on the ground, and we are grateful. We'll see you soon. Goodbye. kind of miss her a little bit. (laughs) They will be home, God willing, depending on what the air routes do and how reliable they are. If you fly for work, you know how that goes. But scheduled to land in uh, Washington, Dulles uh, around 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. So be in prayer for that team. We have another, by the way, simultaneous with that going on in the city of Baltimore, largely made up of our teens. Praise the Lord for our youth ministry and Pastor Chris and Ellen and others who lead them. Ocean City's coming up as well. I I just thank God to be a part of a church who recognizes that ultimately we're not merely about the gathering. We have to scatter because ultimately we are, as part of our identity, a sent people. And it's um, it's one of the reasons that ultimately the church as a family, the series that we're in right now, is so critical because there is no sending without a church. You say, wait a minute, I could go by myself, not for very long, not for very long. Paul said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he said this, how will they call on someone that they don't believe in? How will they believe in someone that they've never heard about? And how will they hear without a preacher? And then comes that part that we kind of miss. How will they preach unless they are sent? The local church is absolutely essential. It is absolutely critical, not only for what you just saw, 
from my beloved wife, not only from what we know is going on uh, for the success of those works, those engagements with the city in Baltimore and then later on in Ocean City, but for your own spiritual vitality and growth as well. And that's what we want to talk about today. So join me again in Acts chapter 2. This is the same text that we looked at last week, but we're going to drill down a little bit deeper to talk about some of the essential elements of why this is important. When you're a part of a local church, what is it that you're to be doing together that spurs that spiritual growth? Anybody in here ever been on a fad diet? I have been. I actually lost a tremendous amount of weight in my early 30s through the Atkins diet. Anybody on Atkins? Yeah. It and it was, it was good. I'm not saying it was wrong, okay? So when I say fad diet, I don't necessarily mean that it's unhealthy. Now, some of them are, uh, but some of them can actually help you get a jump start. But here's the thing, and, and the thing I had to learn, uh, thankfully not the whole way through something like Atkins, and that is if you, if you spend your entire life eating nothing but ribeye steak and cheese, yeah. all right? I mean, it sounds appealing, but eventually, you're like, man, I'm, just, I'm losing two pounds a week. This is awesome. Well, that's because you can't live that way long term. Eventually, you got to level out, and you need some carbs. Maybe not the fries, maybe not the mac and cheese, right? But an apple, something along the way. There's got to be some natural sugars. There's got to be some carbohydrates introduced back into that diet, or you're going to live malnourished, right? That's what fad diets, if they go too long, and I've seen a bunch of these. Atkins was one of those. I've seen the raw food diet. I don't know why in the world that would be appealing to anybody, but I've seen it. Uh, the alkaline diet, the blood type diet. This is something that my wife and I looked at a, a while back. There was a theory, actually, there, there might even be some legitimacy to it, that your blood type will determine kind of what the best food is for you to eat. Uh, this one caught my attention several years ago, the cookie diet. Um, <laughs> but it's not what you think. It's these high-fiber, high-protein cookies, and they honestly, they probably cost 100 bucks each. You know, it's just one of those things. I don't know if that's a diet or a marketing ploy. The baby food diet, yeah, I'd definitely lose weight trying to eat that stuff because it's nasty. The cabbage soup diet, we have friends of ours who are on that one. Yes, you're going to lose weight. It's nasty. And, the, and this one I do not recommend at all, the tapeworm diet. Do you really even need a doctor to tell you that's not healthy? Um, some of these even, again, they might jumpstart weight loss. Nobody should eat that way your whole life because if your health is dependent, again, on a fad diet, you're going to live a malnourished life. And so last week we started this series called called to be family. And we're going to be spending the rest of the summer talking about the identity of the church and that the church isn't a building. It's not an organization. It, it's not a weekend experience. Church is family. And everybody needs a family. But there are fad diet alternatives to the kind of family that Luke is talking about here in the book of Acts. There are many, actually, scenarios for this. And, and like the Atkins diet or the cookie diet or whatever, they may not inherently be bad, but if you depend on them long term, you're going to end up malnourished. So let me give you a couple of examples, starting with parachurch. Parachurch is a wonderful, sometimes, uh, supplement to what your local church experience is. It is a horrible substitute, okay? So campus ministries, some of you are gonna to go to college this fall and you should plug in to Crew or, or some other organization like that. You, you know what else you should do if you're going to Morgantown? You should find a local church. 
And you should make your home there on Sundays until you, know, until you can come back here. If you're going up to Penn State, if you're going down to Virginia Tech, Lord help you, you're going to be a hokey. You need a local church, right? Sorry, I'm a Clemson fan. Couldn't help but throw that little barb in there. You need a local church because collegiate ministries can help, but they are not the, they're not the everything that you need in order to, to grow as a follower of Jesus. Emmaus walks is another thing. Weekend retreats of every sort and kind. None of these things are bad. They're all inherently good things until and unless they become substitutes for the church. And let me tell you, they're easy substitutes for the church. Because if y'all been around the covenant family any length of time, you know your pastor loves red meat. So the idea of eating nothing for the rest of my life but ribeye steak and cheese Sounds pretty good. Like, I mean, I feel better after I eat that. Every once in a while, my wife says, you should eat some asparagus with that. And I do. And sometimes a little spinach, as long as it's got enough goop on it. You know, I, I, can, I can make it go down. Uh, but there, I got I to gotta eat healthier than that. I can't always. And, and, well, why do I feel that way? Because steak's good. Amen? I mean, there ain't nothing like well-prepared, tasty cow. I mean, nothing. Nothing in the world to the greater glory of God. But, but you can't just have that, right? There are other elements that need to be brought into your diet. Likewise, uh, weekend retreats, Emmaus walks, these kind of things, they're great. They're good experiences. They make you feel good. And then here's what's going to happen if you're not careful. You're going to judge the worst of what happens in your church family according to the best of what happens on that mountaintop. And then you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. And yeah, that's, that's when you come up with, well, why can't every weekend at church be like this? Because church is not supposed to be like that. This isn't your weekly trip to Disneyland, right? This is, church is supposed to be something deeper. And deeper sometimes means it's not always going to be enjoyable. Now, why is that not a substitute for the church? Because there's no covenant relationship there. There's no permanent sense in which you belong to those people and the reason, quite simply, is because that was never the reason for a parachurch ministry to exist anyway. The things we see described right here in Luke, in, in Acts, can't, Luke wrote Acts, so excuse my confusion there. These things cannot happen in a purely parachurch environment. Now, let me give you another example here that's going to sound really weird given the fact that there's a television camera pointed right at my head right now, and that is TV church. Again, some of this can be a healthy supplement. There are some very, very sound preachers of God's Word that I know some of you listen to, and I rejoice in that, and you grow in that. And there are many of them that I would commend to you. But the guy on television, including this one, if you're watching from hundreds of miles away, cannot be your pastor. That's a different thing. Those other men that, that lead around him cannot be your pastors. Those men and women that serve the body in various leadership roles cannot be your deacons. It can't. Especially if that place is hundreds or even thousands of miles away, it cannot and should not be your church. And if you've got some guy coming to you from Oklahoma telling you that in West Virginia you can still be a part of his church, He's either outright lying to you or he is woefully ignorant and misinformed about what a church is. You, you can't do that long distance. If for no other reason, then let's just talk about some practical stuff. If you lose a loved one, nobody from that TV program is going to help you bury your loved one. You've got to have physical bodies right there with you. When you need advice, nobody from that television program is going to counsel you. 
When that guy is preaching in another city or another context, he can't make application to your life here in the panhandle in the best way because he doesn't live in your city. He doesn't live in your neighborhood. And those people aren't your church. And this works in all directions. We have a lot of people that listen to our podcast every week all over the country, many of them from outside the country. I'm gratified by that. I'm thankful for that. But if they listen all the way through to the end, what they're going to hear from me directly at the end of every single one of those podcast episodes is something like this. I hope this has been a helpful addition to the primary teaching you've already received from your pastor. Because you cannot replace the local church with TV church. You cannot replace the local church with parachurch. Because those poor substitutes, they're kind of like the fad diet. They'll leave you malnourished. So, so what does a spiritual balanced diet look like? Y'all remember this? For, if you're my age or maybe a little older, you remember these? Um, it's going to come up here in a second. This, uh, you remember that? Yeah. I wish the meat and the potatoes would take over a little more of those vegetables. That's just me, right? But well, what do they tell you? That, that, this is a balanced diet. What does a spiritual balanced diet look like? That's why we want to drill down into verse 42 today, because it tells us that a balanced diet consists of the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So let's talk about those this morning, beginning with the teaching. And they devoted themselves, meaning they were loyal to, they persisted at, they made this a habit, basically. As a habit of their life, there was this continual ingestion of the apostles' teaching. Now, what is the apostles' teaching? Well, Paul, in, in another passage in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, gives us a, a hint into what that is. He says, so, that, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So he uses the metaphor of someone erecting a building and he says the foundation, actually, Jesus holds this whole thing up. So without Jesus, there is no church. This is part of what makes the apostolic teaching important, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But the foundation that was laid was actually laid, Paul says, by the prophets and the apostles. And so the apostles' teaching is essentially the teaching of Jesus passed on that includes the history and the messages of the various prophets. So that means Old Testament and New Testament. And there's been, I, th I think it's important just to kind of bring this up as a little bit of an excursus because there's been some confusion around this in the evangelical church. What is the role of the Old Testament? Okay. And I eat bacon. So, you know, obviously there's some things in there that, that look like maybe we disregard it. So, so what's, what's the role of the Old Testament? And we first have to begin with saying, okay, well, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to believe about the Old Testament, what Jesus believed about the Old Testament. Look at Matthew 5 and verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, that's a, the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet, not a dot, that's a breathing mark, tells you where to just speak smoothly or to, like, you know, you, you, you've heard that some Middle Eastern cultures, they're, they're, not, they're not doing the same thing you and I are doing when we sound like that. They're pronouncing one of their words correctly. Uh, none of this will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
So here's, here's the, the big idea around that. Uh, there are parts of the old covenant that we are not bound to any longer because those things pointed to Messiah. And since Messiah has come and died and risen bodily from the dead, we're no longer obligated to that. But that doesn't mean that the Old Testament no longer matters. That doesn't mean that the Old Testament is this archaic thing that, that we can just dispose of. That doesn't mean that we can tritely go, well, that's Old Testament, as if it can be dismissed simply because it makes us uncomfortable and it's in that earlier Testament of the Bible. It certainly doesn't mean what a lot of even very famous preachers have said today when they, they invoke the language of unhitching the Old Testament from our faith. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. What does it mean? Well, Jesus acknowledged what you and I call the Old Testament as the very words of God. And then he added his own words to them, right? The prophets in the Old Testament, thus says the Lord. Jesus comes, I say unto you. And then come the apostles who Jesus charged with the beginning of his church. Here at Covenant, we believe in an apostolic gift. People that we send out to plant churches, we believe have that gift. But that's distinct from the office, right? We talk about lowercase a apostles and uppercase A apostles. Those uppercase A apostles don't exist any longer. We'll get to that later. But it is their teaching that they left behind that applies practically in the New Testament, the combined teaching of Jesus and the Old Testament. And all of that together forms the basis of everything, every legitimate community of faith believes. So here's how it comes out of covenant. We believe the Bible book, the tablet that you hold in your lap right now, or at least you should, you ought to be bringing that with you, is the inerrant, inspired, infallible, powerful, soul-piercing, life-changing word of the living God, every syllable of it. We don't say that as, as, as just as a matter of trying to guard our orthodoxy or win a philosophical argument or to own the libs or whatever else. We say it as a measure of confidence and thankfulness that God has spoken that we don't have to wonder what he thinks about the most essential things. That forms the basis of everything we believe, that there, the tiniest letter or stroke of the original text of Scripture is all God's Word. There is nothing in that book that should not be there. There is nothing missing that should be there. In fact, Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So our starting point here, the thing that informs all other things at covenant is simply we believe that what the Bible says is what God says. That's what we believe. That's why we always begin a time like this with open your Bibles. It's why preaching is at least half of almost every single worship service because this constitutes the whole of the apostles teaching and so we're going to devote ourselves to understanding it correctly uh, applying it faithfully because it's within these pages that we find the very presence of jesus christ revealed if i'm going to grow in my relationship with jesus i need to know him and he has self-disclosed to me in the pages of scripture. He said to the Pharisees in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. It is they that testify of me. 
from beginning to end. Genesis 1-1 to the very last verse of Revelation chapter 22 points ultimately to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can know that. This is why it's important. This is why your balanced diet needs to include the apostles' teaching. I remember at my ordination service 20 years ago, Walter Johnson, one of my theology professors, one of my mentors. It's kind of weird when you're like, again, almost 30 years later, sometimes I still call him, and every once in a while he calls me, and I go, this is weird. This is weird. You ever had that experience? Somebody who taught you, somebody that raised you up, and then they call you and ask you, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about It's just a weird kind of thing, but, but I, I love that guy. And I remember walking up to him and saying, you know, I just, I appreciate, I, I just appreciate everything you've taught me. This is like in the, the, the back kind of area of the church before we're getting ready to go out for the big event. And I said, thank you for everything you've taught me. It, it's, really, it's, it's really hit home for me. It's made its point with me, I think is what I said. And being the consummate professor, he said, I'm happy to hear that. What exactly was that point? <laughs> and I said, well, you've taught me that there are all these kind of fads and different ideas about the Scripture. You've taught me about classical German higher criticism, classical theological liberalism, existentialism, neo-orthodoxy. You've taught me why those things are a danger, actually, to the Christian church. And so I am prepared now to go out and defend the Word of God. And he said, well, that's nice. That really wasn't the point. And I'm starting to get nervous. I said, well, then, since I'm about to be ordained, what exactly was the point? And he said, well, Joel, first of all, I know this is a very special night for you, but you, the Bible is God's word. It was here before you were born. It'll be here long after you are in the ground dead. It does not need your defense. Right? And he said, but the real reason I gave you this is not so you can fight false doctrine. He said, that, that stuff's important. He said, but you, you're presuming to be a pastor. Brother, you're going to stand in front of your people during some of the worst moments of their lives, and they need to hear the confidence in your voice, and they need to know that the man giving them this message believes with all of his heart, and they need to believe with all their heart that God has spoken and that we can find where he has spoken. The apostles' teaching. And that gets us into trouble because when the Bible is your starting point, People that have globbed on to culture are going to get angry with you, all right? Culture's not bad inherently, but sometimes you're going to hear things so radically countercultural, you're going to think we're out of touch with reality. And here's what you need to know. We want you to leave our presence feeling two things, unconditionally loved and biblically challenged. Where, whoever you are, wherever you're from, that's what we want to know because we believe that's the call of this book. We believe that is the intent of the God who wrote it. And so let me just say to those of us, that those of you who may be visiting with us today, we're so glad you're here. We would love for you to eventually, if you're looking around, to call Covenant home. But even if God leads you elsewhere, let me encourage you to set this particular bar really, really high and don't let it move. If you find a body that says anything less of, of, of Scripture, you might want to consider walking away. 
because you will forever be on a spiritual fad diet. Furthermore, it's on the basis of this teaching that community forms. See, some people think community and relationships, that that, that comes first. Not, not really. Affinity can come first. You can have a hobby, right? I can hunt with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. I can go rent a Harley and go, go on a ride with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. There's a, there's a lot of things I can do that I love to do with people that may not be exactly like me. I can have common interests. I can even have personal affection. But community, as the Bible describes it, true community, that's something else. In fact, let's, let's talk about community because Luke does here. He says they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching but to the fellowship. Now, in today's culture, in the church, we think this word refers to an event with a bunch of casserole dishes. We're going to have some fellowship. I'm, I'm a fan of casserole dishes. Again, as long as there's not too much broccoli in there. Just throwing that out. I think it's great. Yeah, it's casserole dishes. What's fellowship? It's people having a good time. I love having a good time. But this word speaks to something much, much deeper, a connection that first begins with Jesus. And because of that connection with Jesus, ties the rest of us together. And that fellowship, the New Testament tells us, happens at two different levels. The universal church, which is all believers at all times on all continents, speaking all languages, wherever there's another believer in Christ on the planet, that's my brother, that's my sister. I am their brother. I remember being on vacation in East Tennessee many, many years ago with my family. I'm sitting next to the river. Our kids were kind of small, right outside of Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and, and I'm sitting on the banks of this river. My kids are playing in the river, and this, this older gentleman walks up and sits down, and he's got his grandkids with him, and we started talking. We found out both of us were believers. Then I found he found out I was a pastor. I found out he was an Assemblies of God preacher, and, and so we just started sharing stories of what God's been doing in our lives, and we walked away, recognized, hey, I've met another brother. I may never see that man again until I get to heaven, but he's my brother. Right? And you, you find those people, we're, we're everywhere. Right? 2.1 billion of us around the globe. But there's another level at which this gets described as well, and that is the local church. That's an identifiable group of believers in Jesus. So let me throw this definition up for you again from last week. A local church is an identifiable community. You go, look, Anybody out there that believes in Jesus is my brother, my sister, but these are the people that I'm going to go to war with. These are the people that I'm going to serve with. These are the people that I'm going to suffer with. These are the people that I'm going to push through this life with. Identifiable community of regenerated believers, because you can't have the, the kind of relationship that's described here until you first have a relationship with Jesus. They, they confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedience to Scripture. They gather regularly. Under the authority of qualified leadership, we're, again, we're kind of moving through this definition in the next eight weeks or so, for worship, preaching and teaching, and to observe the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The local church is unified by the Holy Spirit, disciplined for holiness, equipped to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment as Jesus' representatives to the world for the glory of God and their eternal joy. That's what it means to have fellowship. Fellowship means we do all of that together. How can you go to war with somebody if you don't know them? How, how can you do that? I, having been a pastor since 1998, having been on, on some, in some measure of ministry since 1992, 
um, I've heard this phrase a lot. People will come into a church and they'll go, well, we, we just can't get connected. Now, sometimes that can be on the church. It's like, okay, well, tell us what you're looking for. Let's sit down. Let's have a conversation. Um, sometimes that's because strategically or structurally the church is not set up. Sometimes, sometimes it's because the people in that church aren't very friendly. I mean, there can be a number of reasons for that. There also can be reasons like for, oftentimes I'll hear, well, I, I'm not getting connected. Well, what, what does that mean exactly? Well, it means I'm not, I'm not making close friendships. So let me tell you, service and community not only are not mutually exclusive, they go hand in hand. So you might need to plug in somewhere, start working, and then you will find your community. And then those are the people that when the work gets done, you go hang out. You talk about scripture, you pray together, you, you love each other. I mean, can, can you imagine, let's think about this picture that, that's up here. With the, these are some World War II vets in a, I don't know, they may be World War I. No, that's World War II. That's a foxhole, okay? Um, can you imagine fighting like that, floating foxhole to foxhole, moving from platoon to platoon? You might wear the same uniform, you may bear the same flag, you, you may believe in the same cause, but you're unfamiliar with each other, you don't really know the other's skills, you don't know each other's duties, you know what's going to happen? You know what the enemy's going to have to do? Nothing. Nothing. It, it's like when the, the Ukraine invasion first began and, and, the, and the whole world was thinking, okay, Russia's going to like roll over Ukraine, and then we're like, what's happening here? You know, you line up in a single file with your supplies at the very back and the Ukrainians look and they go, ah, send a bomb and knock out their supply lines and then they can't go anywhere and then debilitate them. They can't move, they can't eat, they can't, they can't do anything. About three weeks in, I remember seeing a, a Ukrainian special forces soldier on television and, and through the translator, he said, yeah, we weren't, we just really didn't think they'd be that stupid right? Well, that, that's a lot of people in the way they think about the church. That's where they're going to end up. Your enemy's going to go, wow, they're pretty stupid. They're just kind of floating around from foxhole to foxhole. How, how many, um, where, where are my airmen at? Current and form, former. I'm, I'm starting with the Air Force because y'all get made fun of all the time. Okay. And, and one of them on my deck the other night said, that is fine. I, we get air conditioning and y'all don't. If y'all want to make fun of us, that's fine. That's cool. Um, how about grunts? You got any army people? Ex-army? Not ex. Former? Yep. Thank you. And thank you for your service, by the way. Um, where, where are my jarheads at? Marines, where you at? All right. Got you back here. Any uh, Navy? Where's the sailors? There you go. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Jack's hand. That's me. All right. These people know, these men and women know that when you fight, you fight not with someone you're unfamiliar with. You fight with somebody you've trained with, showered with, slept with, lived with. That's how it works. That's it. That's how you go to war. And Jesus reminds us, we're not in a physical war, but we are spiritually in a war to end all wars from now until he returns and he expects his church to be victorious and you simply cannot do that without a deep commitment to fellowship as it's understood here in an identifiable community 
of people. It's one of the reasons small groups are so important here, because you, you should come and you should hear the proclamation of the word. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's one of the reasons many of the new small groups we start are sermon-based. It's because this is kind of like an air war, and it, what you're do, doing in your small groups is kind of like a ground war. You need to be involved. And listen, there's no need to get awkward here, okay? I, I asked a guy not too long ago, hey, do you guys have a church home? And it was like, well, I, I, I guess he's thinking, well, I got the preacher in front of me. I, should I tell him the truth or should I lie if I tell him it? And so he hemmed and he hawed until I finally just went, it was just an invitation. I'm not your judge. I'm certainly not your executioner. I don't pose any threat to any of y'all, okay? I'm not, I'm not doing that to you. Nobody's going to get mad if you continue just like you are. We're going to be sad for you, but we're not going to cut you off. We're always going to love you. But I'm telling you now, because I love you, if you want a victorious life, you can't do it Lone Ranger style. You need the fellowship of an identifiable community. It's why membership is, well, I don't know about being a member of a church. Well, how else would you identify and say, these are my people? This is who I'm running with. August the 7th, Right after our 11 o'clock service, we're having another Discover Mission class. That would be your, if you're new to this family, it's your first foray into who we are. I compare it to buying a used car. I'm going to lift the hood for you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to kick the tires. I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask all kinds of questions. And there's not even an opportunity to join the church in that segment of what we do. It's just completely information. You come in, you get to know Pastor Joel, you hear my heart for where I think we are and where I think God is taking us. You ask questions, you, you figure out, is this, is this the place for me? And then if so, there'll be another opportunity to actually go a little deeper still. August 7th, go to our website. It's three weeks from now. You can get signed up today. We'll feed you, we'll take care of your kids. I've actually had people in that class, so I just, I'm in, I'm in here because y'all offered babysitting and I need to be away from my kids for a while. That's fine. That's fine. We'll see what God does with, with that. You need the fellowship. You need community. You need the apostolic teaching, and you need to do this intentionally. That's why, thirdly, we see intentionality here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Now, what we're starting to see here is the, the primary way that first century community was expressed. The bulk of New Testament scholarship agrees that there are actually two layers of activity that's being described here. There's kind of a formal layer that we call the Lord's Supper. When Jesus, during Passover, took that bread and tore it, then he took the wine. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And 2,000 years later, we still do that in a very tangible way. We're going to do it next week, just like we do every fourth Sunday. It, it, it reminds us with our senses of that one act in human history that actually binds us all together as the body of Christ. So that's the formal expression of the breaking of bread. But there's also a less formal sense in which Luke employs these words. These people just shared meals together. They just shared meals together. Just a thought, not in my notes, not in the text, not in any, we, we, we need to do that more. We need to do that more, and that's on us. That, that's on your leaders. Hold me to that, all right? We, we need to do that more. Um, if we're gonna do it outdoors, it's gonna have to get a little cooler. But uh, there, there, nothing says we can't do something in here. But, but hang with me. Those, those things are coming. 
Here's why. It's because nothing breaks down walls and unites people quite like sitting at a table together. You realize we've done that with our Jewish and Muslim neighbors here? And the walls that come down? And, and we don't believe that Islam leads to eternal life. So if you, can, if you can break down that kind of barrier with another human being that you love and that is your neighbor, but that you have such radical and irreconcilable differences with, how easy should it be for a simple meal to bring two people who worship the same Lord to the same table? And here's where I'm going to, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press on some bruises here, okay? So just, just get ready. There's been a lot of polarization, a lot of division, and a lot of fighting, and a lot of nonsense that God's people have felt obligated to participate in, especially over the last couple of years. And I've had people, and I'm not, I'm not aiming at any one group in particular, none at all. Politically, I've had people on the left and the right say, well, I'm not coming back because so-and-so said this, and so-and-so, because, okay, so somebody said something stupid on social media, you're just done with your family? I guess you've never said anything stupid on social media. You're, you're done? You can't sit down? Okay. I haven't pressed on the bruise yet. Y'all ready for me to press on the bruise? When you and that other person are both blood-bought people and you refuse to be in the same church with them or to sit down with them over a meal there's another identity that has taken the place where your identity as a follower of Jesus should be and I don't care what that thing is it might be your politics. It might be your view of culture. It might be your views of whatever. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't care. It's an idol, and you'd better destroy it before God does. You better do it. You're like, well, our culture, yes, our culture's in a mess. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. This is not the first time in human history that a great civilization has been in a mess. It happens. It happens. And so when you, when you give yourself over to that kind of thing, here's the big idea. The, these people were intentional about getting together. And remember, this is first century Rome, so there was no 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. You know why? Because Sunday was a work day. Sunday was a work day. These people got up at 5 a.m. sometimes so they could have the the time needed to do these things together with their church family, they did it every day. So, so how intentional are we? Right. You come into the, well, I, I need more of this, I need more of that. Well, then come get it. Or ask for it. Or let, let's see what we can do about it. How intentional. Get more intentional. Some people need to get more intentional about just the regular practice of being here every seven days. Other people need to be more intentional with your small group. Other people need to jump in and find your role. I, somebody asked me just a couple of days ago, do, do, we, do we ever call for volunteers? And, and it's, it's a legitimate question because, especially in a post-COVID world, there's a lack of volunteers. There's a lack of volunteers. Can I be honest with you? As if I haven't been for the last 30 minutes. 
Um, I've told our staff, when you reach your capacity, cut it off. Don't let anybody else in. Because you're going to burn out your volunteers. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to leave. And the people who are not part of that, it's like a family meal, right? One of my kids looks at me and goes, I'm not getting my dish and taking it to the garbage can and raking off the food and putting it in the same. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yes, you are, because you're part of this family. Everybody's going to, right? I just had a, one of my kids just yesterday talking about a new chore in the house, and they, and I'm using that pronoun because I don't want to give away who it was, said, can I get paid for it? And I said, yes, you can have a bed and a roof and some food and some clothes. Boy, some parents are really tracking with what I'm saying right now, right? Some things you do because you're part of the family. You're part of the family. And when you don't do them, sometimes there's consequences for that. Not, not punitive, like, okay, well, now we're going to punish people, but just... I, we don't have the help. We don't have the help. So this isn't going to happen. Um, and, and I do it, by the way. Not, again, it's not because even I want anybody to feel bad. I know when people feel a little bit of pain, they, they move. They move. And, and I love you. My job is to move you. <laughs> and, and so that, that's the kind of thing. How intentional are you? Here's the last thing. Intercession. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. There is a definite article there in front of that word prayer that describes actually a particular kind of prayer. There's a strong argument here that the early Christians were actually still, because most of them were Jewish, having come to Christ, they, they were still very intentional about keeping the formal prayer hours of Judaism in the temple. And during the second temple period, that was three times a day that they would take time to do that. So here's the thing. Now, your pastor, do I have to do that? You don't. But the principle here is they're dedicated to prayer and they're dedicated together. So two things, opportunity and ability. On the opportunity side, July 27th at 7 p.m., right in this room, prayer and praise night. July 31st, our unity service begins at 9.30 with corporate prayer. Just come on in and join us. The other thing is uh, the concern that people sometimes express is ability. Well, I don't know, I, I don't know how to pray. Sure you do. Sure you do. And, and if you want some guidance for how to talk to the Lord, we actually have a sermon series entitled In This Way. You can go to our website. It's in the message archives. There's six or seven weeks on the Lord's Prayer, may, application made to your life and heart to help you talk to the Lord more effectively, to help you grow in your level of intimacy with the Father. But for now, I'll just say this. The church can't survive without prayer. We can do everything else, and the enemy does not fear us until we pray, because that's what connects us with the Father. So, so here's what we have in summary in verse 42. It's an example set for us by our spiritual ancestors demonstrating what it means to truly be a family of faith. So let me, let me make some suggestions in closing on, on how to make this a priority. Three ways, all right? Number one is your calendar, your calendar. During Discover Covenant, one of the things that we'll ask for, generally, you won't give this every week and then some weeks you'll give more, is we say, you know what, give your church family four hours a week. That'd be an hour in here, that'd be an hour in small group, 
That'd be an hour of service to the body in some way. That would be an hour of service in your community. And sometimes those things, they overlap. Like your small group, it should be meeting probably, or ideally at least, in the same community. And you find ways to serve your community together. And maybe that's not an hour a week. Maybe that's five or six hours every couple of months. All right? But that, that's kind of the, what we call they say, the gold standard of how you get started investing yourself. But anybody in here have a trouble with margins in your schedule? Yeah, that's why you have to schedule this stuff. Your calendar matters. Guys, four hours out of a 168-hour week, that's 2% of your week. Is your church family on the calendar? Because if it's not, you, you may have found at least one reason why you may not be getting everything out of this that you otherwise could. Are you that intentional with your schedule? Do you pay attention? The number of times. And listen, I get that this is going to be this way until Jesus comes back. So I'm not telling you, straighten up. I just, just one of those occupational hazards as a pastor. Like, oh, I didn't know that was going on. I'm going to start wearing a T-shirt that on the front said, it's been on the website for a week. And on the back, it, it'll say something else. We've been announcing it for three months. Pay attention. All right? Pastors, deacons, will y'all wear that T-shirt with me if we buy them in bulk? Yeah. Yeah. It's been on the website. Yeah. Just, just take a look. This is the connection. Number two, your location. So not just, not just your time, but, but think about where you live. And this is where, this is where staff go nuts because they don't ever want to lose anybody because they, they're always struggling to find volunteers, and I get it. But I'm going to tell you, if you live more than 45 minutes from this campus, you need to find a church in your community. And I love you. And I don't want to be. And I, I, I tear up when people leave, even for that reason. We have a dear sister in Christ who's been here 30 plus years, just left that we recognized her, prayed for her right here on stage because of the multitude of ways that she and her late husband served us. But you know what? We let her go. You know why? Because she's an hour from here. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. The, the, the purpose of the church is to benefit the community. So if you're watching online from Frederick, give us a call. There's some really good churches and some really solid pastors in the Frederick, Maryland area. We'll let you know. We'll do that. Right. Can you really make a difference? He, he is calling you to make a commitment. So your calendar matters, your location matters, and then finally, your relationships. Church cannot be merely a dating relationship. It's a covenant relationship. Do you treat it that way? Like, really, these, these are my people. Are your relationships here a priority? Because, again, when, when hard times come, when it's time to bear that loved one, when it's time to be ministered to during a job loss or a chronic illness or rebellious children or, or even more, when it's time to answer the call that no individual can answer, you don't need a weekend experience. You need a family. You need a family to go to war with. You need a family to eat with. You need a family to just be in relationship with. And, and I, I would just be remiss if I didn't say right here at the end, the universal call of the gospel for anyone in this room or anyone watching who's not a Christian is that Jesus, because of his death for your sin and his resurrection to guarantee you new life, invites every single person into that family. You can join that today. Let's pray together. 
Father, thank you again for the church. Thank you for the descriptions that we find in your word that guide us 2,000 years later about how it is that we're supposed to be active, what our priorities ought to be. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. I pray in the name of Jesus that, that those who don't know you will find you today. Because, Lord, being attached to us without having a relationship with you is just religion. It is something that is damning to the soul. It is something that is even toxic to those other individuals because they, there has to be a life-transforming gospel that affects them, that brings them to the place where they are born again. And so I pray that first. And then, Father, I pray that they would link up with others who've had that born-again experience. And, Father, if they live in the geographic locale of this place and these people, and, Lord, your will would be for them to unite here, I pray that you would make that clear to them. And as they begin to join up, Father, give them those deep relationships that only the gospel can provide for them. And Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.